when they took those shots of me doing those things, I, <laughs> I try to keep my, you know, little hobbies silent. But some of you are thinking, well, what's with my man? My man's wearing the same shirt three weeks in a row. Randy Dandy never wears the same shirt three weeks in a row. I am here as an advertisement, okay? It's for Rediscover Sunday. I'm not trying to be hip and sloppy because everybody knows I'm not hip or, or sloppy. But it's to just remind us that this is a tremendous opportunity to uh, pull out all the stops. I'm just curious, how many of you, you already have someone that you're either you've already invited or you're going to invite? Can I see your hands? Okay. And for you that don't, you still have time. Be praying, asking God to give you somebody and uh, please take advantage of this opportunity. It just makes it easier when there's an event to invite somebody. Now, I'll be, I'll be in another T-shirt. This is a T-shirt series. I'll be in a 4 o'clock service. How many know that we're going to have a, a 4 o'clock church service? Can I see your hands? How many know that you can sleep in on Sunday morning if you want to and still get the same church service? And if you know people that that might be particularly attractive to, that 4 o'clock, and we're hoping that there might be a, a group of people in the Frederick County area that would love to pursue spirituality, but they want a full weekend. And so uh, please be, you know, thinking about that. And once again, anyone that you think might be interested in that, uh, please go ahead and, and give them an invite. I'm just curious, how, how many of you, you figure, yeah, I'm going to check it out myself. Can I see your hands? Oh, that's a good number of them. Good. So well, I won't be alone. That's good to know. <laughs> All right. So I'll have a four o'clock t-shirt on that I'll probably wear for the rest of the series. After that, I'll be dapper for you once again, <laughs> or as dapper as I ever get. We're in a series called uh, The Keys to Being Fully Human and Fully Alive. And one of the things I've said each week is that tragically, the impression has been given uh, by churches that the creator of the universe, what he really wants us to do is to just learn a little religious dance. You know, it's kind of like you live your life the way you want, but then give me a little something, the creator says, uh, people kind of think that, give me a little of your time, you know, learn, learn a little, you know, a little prayer, learn a little song, just give me a little, a little religious attention, and then we're, we're good. But that's not at all what the scripture teaches. God has given this incredible revelation uh, of himself, of the truth about life, the truth about the universe. And what we find is that the creator desperately wants for each and every human being to live the way that he designed us. It's because he loves us. It's because he knows what's best and wants what's best. He desperately wants us to trust him and then actually live the way that he knows is best for us. And so it, it's all about transformation. It's about trust and transformation. It's not about religion. It's not about trying to appease the deity. It's not about trying to, you know, give the deity a little respect so the deity will bless your life. I mean, that, that's, that's just foolishness. But multitudes, multitudes, I bet you you know some people. They say things like, well, I do my duty. I go to church. Our church, our family never misses a Sunday. Well, you know what? That doesn't mean anything if you're not taking in the real purpose of it. Now, if you're taking in the real purpose, that's a great practice. You know, we mentioned that last week. Well, keys to becoming fully human, fully alive. Today, we're going to deal with a key called humility. Now, the interesting thing to me about this key, I, I just want to ask this. How many of you would like to have more love, more joy, more peace in your life. In other words, inside, as you function during the day, you'd like to feel inside more loving, more at peace, have more joy. How, how many of you are all in for that? You'd like to have that, okay? 
How many would like, like to have more self-control, to be more gentle, to be more kind, to be more patient, to be a good person? How many would like that to just be kind of rolling in you? Yeah. Okay. How many would like to be respected? Where, where people, when they get around you, you are somebody that gains their respect. And you're not even trying, it's just you. It's just who you are, what exudes from you. How many would love that one too? Go ahead, got your exercise in now. <laughs> all of that, all of that and more is contingent upon you and I grabbing a hold of this key called humility. Those things that I mentioned to you, you can find those in the book of Galatians in the New Testament, chapter 5. And they're called the fruits of the Spirit. They are Christ-like characteristics that God wants to help us develop. And they all grow in the soil of humility. Not one Christ-like characteristic will grow outside of the soil of humility. Humility is extraordinarily powerful. And here's the thing I love about humility. Anyone, anyone can grab a hold of this key. It's accessible to anyone willing to Humble themselves. Ironically, we don't find that easy. So we want to turn to uh, a couple definitions here to kind of get our minds flowing here. Uh, here's like a dictionary definition. Humility, a modest or low view of one's own importance. Hmm. Synonyms, modesty, humbleness, meekness, unassertiveness. Let me give you my um, definition of it. Humility is seeing reality accurately and adjusting to it appropriately. Leave that up there just for a minute. It's, it's first of all, seeing reality accurately, which I cannot do and you cannot do unless we receive a revelation from God. He's the only one that knows what's true about the universe all the time. And so it's seeing things from God's perspective, and then I adjust to it appropriately. I mean, the truth is this. I, I'm finite, okay? I, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not eternal. Uh, I'm fragile. I'm fallible. And so are you, every one of us. We're constantly needing to be taught. We're dependent. We, we're constantly needing to learn. And so as we learn about reality and adjust to it, that's what it means to be humble. Let me go on. Humility is sanity, and the necessary foundation for becoming fully human and fully alive. Like I said, we are all fragile creatures. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're young. <laughs> I don't care if you're the greatest athlete on the planet. I don't care if you're the greatest actor, entertainer, singer, politician. You run a nation. I don't care who you are. Here's what I know about you. And you should always tuck this away. Here's what you know about every human being that you ever will see. They can't control the next beat of their heart. They can't control the next brain wave. And if they live long enough, they will have grand opportunities to learn humility. Never envy another human being. We're all in the same mess. We desperately need a Savior. We are people that have longings and desires in our hearts. We suppress them because we don't feel they're possible, but we have longings and desires in our hearts that nothing or anyone in this world can bring to us. This life is not long enough for any of us. It's not good enough for any of us. We are frustrated creatures unless there is really a God who wants to save us. And so... Humility is sanity, 
I'm just seeing myself in the mess that I'm in, that I'm broken, I'm fragile, I'm finite, I'm fallible. And it's the necessary foundation for becoming fully human and fully alive. Let's go on. Let's look at pride, the opposite. Pride either doesn't see reality, doesn't see God's perspective on life, rejects it maybe, or sees reality accurately, but, uh, but does, excuse me, or does and refuses to adjust to it. There are some people that they know the truth about God and the truth about life, but they don't care. They refuse to adjust. That's my definition of insanity. They're, they're living against reality. Now, I don't mean that they're clinically insane. I don't mean they can't function. They may be the president of a company or something like that. Uh, they may be a celebrity. They may be a leader of a nation. But they're not coming to grips with reality. And that's my definition, definition of insanity. Any person that doesn't take the significance of the, the intervention of Jesus Christ into the planet of his own making, his sacrificial death on the cross, his omnipotent rising from the grave on the third day, anybody that doesn't take that seriously, him seriously, in my opinion, is behaving like a crazy person because that's the biggest reality in the whole universe. So, Here's my definitions that I gave you. So now what I want to do is let's turn to a book in the New Testament where we're given a model of humility. It'll be the book of Philippians, page 1,324 in those Bibles near you on the chair. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 2. Philippians chapter 2, and it's page uh, 1324. The Apostle Paul, as I said last week, he was the writer of the book of Philippians. He was in prison uh, as he wrote it. It starts out in verse 2. Complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in spirit, and having one purpose. Now it starts getting interesting in verse 3. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity... Each of you should in, what is the word? Humility. Humility. Be moved to treat one another as more important than yourselves or yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only for your own interest, but also about the interest of others as well. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who though he existed in the form of who? God. Did not regard equality with God, as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, by sharing in human nature. He did what? Humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here we have the ultimate example of humility in Jesus. Elsewhere in Scripture says crystal clear he is God. Here it says he's equal to God. It says that he is the creator of the universe, came down to this earth, put himself in the hands of a young Jewish couple to be raised as a baby, lived a humble peasant life. He didn't have any indoor plumbing. He didn't have any electricity. He didn't have a car. He didn't have a cell phone. I could go on, but you get my point. Lived that extraordinary life, 
Then for three and a half years did miracles that the world has never seen before, gave teaching that the world has never heard before, and loved in a way that the planet is still shaken from. And then he culminated it all by deliberately, he was the omnipotent creator, but he deliberately allowed the creatures of his own making to mock him, to humiliate him, rip his beard out, nail him to a cross, and ultimately he allowed himself to experience death, to identify with us, to show to each and every one of us that though he is the almighty God, the creator of the universe, the judge of all, he loves us so much that he wants us to know the depth of his love by sacrificing himself for us, to let us know our sins can all be forgiven if we'll return to him in trust. He wants every barrier between us and him removed. He doesn't want his power to intimidate us. He doesn't want us to be afraid. He wants us to just be willing to return to him in trust so that we actually can be fully human, fully alive, the kind of beings he always intended us to be. And his sacrificial death on the cross is this example of his humility. Now, we're going to talk a little bit later in this message about Jesus' humility because we need to think about it because sometimes when you hear the word humility or somebody being humble in our society today, we kind of picture a passive person, maybe, maybe even a little wimpy, maybe. And it's not something that our society admires greatly today. But we need to look at this a little more carefully, what humility really is and what it looks like. So the first thing we want to do is understand the value of humility. I mean, why, why should anyone want it? What's its value? Listen to this from the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. It says, when pride comes, shame is not far behind it, but wisdom accompanies those who are humble. We've all seen this in our lifetime. People that were proud, people that were arrogant, people that spouted off and they end up taking a fall. And it's usually an inevitability because we're finite. We don't know how much we don't know. We don't know how vulnerable we are. We don't know how weak we are. We don't know how one 24-hour period can completely alter our existence. So pride, as I said earlier, it's kind of insanity. It's not living in touch with reality because reality is I can't control my next brainwave, my next heartbeat. Um, that's reality. Here's another one from Proverbs chapter uh, 29, verse 23. It says, arrogance will bring your what? Downfall. And most of us have seen this time and time again. Arrogant people just come tumbling down. But if you are humble... You will be what? Respected. respected. This is something that every human being wants. We want to be respected. It seems kind of contrary that the key to being respected is to be humble. Sometimes we feel like, you know, you've got to be pushy to be respected. But just the opposite is true. It's the person that's real. It's the person that's in touch with reality. It's the person that's adjusting to reality. The humble person that ultimately gains respect. People start to realize that's a safe person. That's a calm person. That's a person that doesn't get easily stressed out or easily offended. That's a kind person. That's a consistent person. That's a trustworthy person. That gains respect. That's a person that doesn't need. <laughs> I'm tempted to ask you this before I tell you what I was going to say next. How many of you, I will ask you, come on, own up to it. How many of you, your last worders, man. You got to get the last word. 
Can I see your hands? Own up to it. How many are last worders? <laughs> Embrace humility <laughs> and save yourselves from that unnecessary strife and the insecurity that makes you need to get the last word. Did you hear what I said? The insecurity that makes us need to get that last word. The humble person is strong, not weak. The humble person is secure, knows they were created by a loving God in his image, knows who they are, knows why they're here, knows where they're going, knows the meaning of life, understands the purpose of all things, knows what's happening in the world, is not rattled by it, is clear-minded, clear-eyed. A humble person is strong. They're, they're not weak at all. Now, there's a lady named Rebecca Sabke. Oh, actually, I skipped a verse. Let, let, let me go to this next verse, and then I'll go there. Jesus talking in Luke 14, 11, he says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled before others, and he who habitually humbles himself keeps a realistic, there it is, a realistic self-view will be exalted. It, it's inevitable. People can't help but to respect a truly humble person because they're safe, they're secure, they're strong, they're not weak. Um, they're under control. They're other-oriented. I could just go on and on of all, all the things that, that come from humility. Now, let me go on and give you an interesting story about how uh, those that are humble catch the attention of others and tend to be uh, highly respected and given opportunities and things that maybe others wouldn't. There's a lady named Rebecca Sabke, and I want to read a little bit to you what she is. She's an undergraduate admissions counselor at an Ivy League school, and she reads over 2,000 college applications every year. She writes, These applicants are always intellectually curious and talented. They climb mountains, they head extracurricular clubs, and they develop new technologies. They're the next generation leaders. Their accomplishments stack up quickly. A student from a large public school in New England was clearly bright as evidenced by his class rank and his teacher's praise. He had a supportive recommendation from his college counselor and an impressive list of extracurriculars. But one letter of recommendation in particular caught my eye, says Rebecca Sabke. It was a letter of recommendation from the school custodian. And... Here, let me just share with you on the screen. The young man, says the custodian, the young man was the only person in the school who knew the names of every member of the janitorial staff. This student, the custodian wrote, had a refreshing respect for every person at the school, regardless of position, popularity, or clout. So, she goes on, Rebecca goes on to say, over 15 years and 30,000 applications in my admissions career, I had never seen a recommendation from a school custodian. It gave us a window into the student's life. Notice that, it gave us a window into his, his character, into the student's life in the moments when nothing counted. The student was admitted by unanimous vote of the admissions committee. They saw, they saw the power, they saw the the value of somebody that had a humble spirit and recognized the value of every person and treated every person with value. And that's what humility enables us, gives us capacity 
to do. You see, when, when we're proud, when we're self, uh, so self-absorbed, we feel entitled and we expect everyone and everything to give us what we want, when we want, how we want it. And if everyone and everything doesn't go our way, we'll show our dismay. We'll show that we're not happy about things. And we stay in a state of tension, always having to try to find ways to prove our worth, to prove ourselves to ourselves, or prove our worth to someone else. Some of you know just what I'm talking about. Your whole life could be explained in that. You have been working around the clock to Prove to yourself that you have some value, that you can do something. Or to prove to somebody else, a humble person, a humble person is completely free from all of that. Some of you just hear that part of this message. What if you could be completely free from this tension, this stress, to, this fight, to always be having to prove yourself? Last worders, listen to this very carefully. Because you're probably trying to prove yourself to, to yourself, prove your value to yourself or somebody else. It's not an easy way to live. There's a better way to live. There's a better way to live. To be so confident, so clear about who you are that you don't have to get the last word. And you don't have to prove anything to anyone. And you can accept your strengths and your weaknesses your failures and your victories. And you can live with the fact that the creator of the universe loves you, accepts you, is with you, forgives you, and has a destiny awaiting you. And that gives you that calmness and that confidence and that patience and that kindness and that love and that joy and that peace and that self-control. All those things, they start with humility. Listen to these words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. This shows you the value of humility. He says, I assure you, he said, unless you are converted, that means that I come to clear convictions that sin is a destructive force. When God tells me something is wrong, it's because he's trying to protect me. And I become convicted. God is trustworthy. He's right. I become convicted that sin is always destructive and I don't want anything to do with it. And I become equally convicted that God is completely trustworthy. Therefore, I am spontaneously motivated to learn his will in every area of life and to do his will. That's what it means to be converted. I trust Christ and now I follow him fully, freely, and forever because I really trust him. I know sin is my enemy. I know that it's a destructive force that God wants to save me from now, not sometime in the future, now. All right, he says, I assure you, unless you are converted and become like what? Children. Children. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Does that sound pretty serious? What about John 3, 16, Randy? You know, God's love the word to give his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, 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 yes. But believing, trusting in Jesus means conversion. I trust him to the point that I now want to follow him. I want to know his will. I want to obey him. If I don't want to obey him, if I don't even care about learning his will, I'm deceiving myself. I don't care how many times you come forward. I don't care how many times people assure you you're saved. You're not. 
Salvation can only occur when we return to Christ our creator in a trusting relationship. And if that trusting relationship is true, it cannot help but to show itself by you and I actively following him, desiring and doing whatever is necessary to learn his will and then to do his will. That's conversion. That allows somebody to be positioned to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So I assure you, he said, unless you're converted and become like little children, you are like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It goes on. Therefore, whoever does what? Humbles himself like this child. This one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying it is impossible for our God to save us unless we are willing to become like children, humble. We need to learn how to live life all over again. We need to let the designer of life teach us how to live life the way we were designed. And humility means I become teachable. Humility is such a powerful thing. If you stay humble through your life, you'll always grow. You'll always learn. You can learn in any environment, in any situation, in the best, in the worst. When, when others can and can't learn, you'll still be able to learn because you're just always teachable. You have a, you have a humble curiosity. You have an openness. I, I'm telling you, you stay humble. God can do extraordinary things, extraordinary things in a humble person's life and through a humble person's life. That's just reality. It's an inevitability, really. So the value of humility, I, I hope you're pretty much sold on that. Now, how do we unleash its power? In other words, how do we cooperate with God so that the power of humility is active in us and it becomes unleashed in our lives? It says in 1 Peter these words, So humble yourselves. It's pretty simple and clear. Humble yourselves. Under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. I can choose, you can choose, we can choose to humble ourselves to God. Let me explain what that means. Humble myself to God just means like, God, you created the universe. You're obviously a little smarter than me. You're eternal, immortal, all-powerful. You're obviously a little stronger and more powerful than I am. I, I guess you're, you're, you're somebody to be trusted. Plus, you're, you're more sacrificially loving because you died on the cross for sinful people to show us how much you love us. So humbling myself means I am now going to live the rest of my life your way because I can never do myself anything better than that. You love me more than I love myself. You know what's best and want what's best, so I am now going to humble myself. Every area of my life, I'm going to humble myself. I'm not going to be a smart aleck in, in any area of my life anymore. I'm going to humble myself. It goes on. All of you should clothe yourselves in what? That means everybody today, I can see you're all clothed. So at some point today, you put your clothes on, right? How many put your clothes on today? All right. Did you, did you, did you, did you pick the, what you're wearing today because you, you looked in the closet and you said, I want to wear the ugliest thing I can find. I want to be ugly looking today. I want the worst clothes. How many did that when you looked in that closet? No, 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 you didn't do that. You got something that was at least semi-attractive to you and you thought would be, you know, presentable to somebody else. That's what we do. Where, where am I going with this? You see, I can't clothe myself with humility unless I really find humility attractive. Unless I want to put it on. Unless I want to become humble. 
And then I clothe myself. That means that, that I am going to behave myself, consciously behave myself in a way. Hopefully, it's going to be my goal. It's what I'm shooting at. So that when people interact with me, they come away feeling like, wow, that was a surprise. He's a safe person. I think he liked me. He, he likes people. He, he's safe. He's, he's humble. It's saying that I, I want, you want to clothe myself. I want people to experience that I'm humble. I'm safe. I'm, I'm a person that cares when they meet us. That's what it means to clothe ourselves with humility. So this is a decision. If you make that decision and I make that decision and we do this conscientiously, eventually we will start to indeed be humble people. Listen to this one from Romans 12. Now, this is where we're going to get, get into some interesting things about what, what is the nature, again, of humility. The Apostle Paul is writing to followers of Christ in Rome, and he says, I'm telling every single one of you through the grace that has been given to me not to have exaggerated ideas about your own importance. How many have some friends that have exaggerated ideas about their own importance? <laughs> yeah. How many... They have such exaggerated ideas about their importance. You think they're a little crazy, truth be told. You see them on a lot of these shows, these singing contest shows, you know. <laughs> Somebody should have told them before they ever got up there, right? I'm telling every single one of you, through the grace that's been given me, not to have an exaggerated, not to have exaggerated ideas about your own importance. It goes on. Instead, develop a sober or sane-minded, balanced-minded estimate of yourself. You, you see, humility is, is not convincing myself that I am worth less. Quite the opposite. Listen to this, this extraordinarily wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis, great Christian writer. Uh, I'm not sure where it'll be. It, no, that's not supposed to be there. It should be a quote from C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Wait. Boom. There it is. <laughs> True humility, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself what? Less. It's not saying, oh, I'm just awful and I can't do anything and I have no talent and I have no opinion and I'm just a doormat, just rub your feet on me. And, you know, it, it, it's not, you know, it's not that at all. It's just that being humble is I'm not self-absorbed. I have a capacity, a God-given capacity, because I know I'm loved by him, forgiven by him. He's got a plan for my life. He's with me. He'll never leave me, never forsake me. He tells me who I am, how to live, where I'm going, what to expect, what's going on in the world. So now I have an expanded capacity to meet you, and I have a servant's heart. I don't need anything from you. All I want to do is give something. If I can possibly give something to you, that's what I want. Humility. It's thinking Less of ourselves. Listen, we can't help but to think primarily of ourselves until we are reconciled to our Creator, until we know who we are, until we know why we're here, until we know our sins are forgiven, until we know our eternal destiny is secure, until we know we're loved by a God who will never leave us and forsake us. We're still going to be driven by fear and guilt and shame and insecurity. And that will, that will make humility impossible because humble people... They're strong. They're secure. So now we can do that one of mine. Pride says I'm special. I'm entitled. Everybody ought to do what I want, when I want, how I want it. Humility says we're special. The humble person knows they have God-given value. 
They don't don't act as though they have no value. Far from it. But they also know you're valuable and you're valuable. And I'm going to treat you with the value that God has shown me that you have. And I now, because I'm humble and secure in God's love, I have a capacity to be able to do that. Humility is a powerful and it's a beautiful thing when you see it in action. These words, last words of Jesus, Matthew 23. He said, the greatest among you will be your what? And humility gives the power and the capacity to serve. Jesus was saying that that the greater person is the one that has the internal capacity to serve. We reverse it all. You know, we, oh, look how many servants this one has. Look how, you know, look how many people are working for this one and doing that. No, no, no. It's all reversed. We serve little children. We serve babies. Why? Because the greater serves the one that is in the greater need. So Jesus says the greatest will be the one that serves. And humility empowers us to be servants. Be ready to close. There's a lady named Mary Louise Starkey, and she started a business back in 1999. And her business was because of Americans were becoming so rich. There's so many more millionaires, just like some of you. I know we have millions and millions of millionaires in here. Can I see the hands of the millionaires? You're, you're not, you're just, you just don't want to show, do you? No, no, we don't have any millionaires to my knowledge. But, but in the United States, millionaires were escalating, more and more and more millionaires. So Mary Louise Starkey had this vision. She thought, okay, so people have these big homes and things now that they can't take care of. They don't have the time. So they need help. They need what used to be called butlers <laughs> and maids and things of that nature. Well, she changed those words to this. Household managers. And she started a business training people to be household managers. Butlers. Maids. Okay? But for these upscale places. Take a guess what the average household manager or butler makes. Just take a guess. Between sixty dollars and $120,000 a year. How many of you now want to go to school to be a butler? Can I see your hands? <laughs> So she started this business, and uh, she puts them through this eight-month, you know, really intense course. They have to pay like $7,200 for it and all like that. And she's made a big business out of it, you know. And, and they're still, right now, if you're looking for work, they, they are looking for people. So there you go. But um, let me read you these words of hers. She said, perhaps the most difficult aspect of servanthood, however, is the element of personal what? Self-denial. The humble person has already embraced self-denial. They know there are some things more important than themselves. Jesus went to the cross, not because he had to. He had power to resist it, but it was more important for the salvation of those that would finally trust him. Servants are not to draw attention to themselves. Their only goal is to meet the needs of who? Others. I mentioned earlier in the message, I was going to talk about humility. We get this notion sometimes that humility is weakness. Far from it, it's strength. Let me, let me ask you to think about something. Was Jesus a decisive person? Oh, yes. Read the Gospels. Very decisive. Was Jesus a dominant person? Read the Gospels. You better believe it. Was Jesus somebody that would rebuke the highest authorities to their face? Oh, yes, he did it. Did Jesus rip apart the money changers' tables when they were being irreverent in the house of God? Oh, yes, he did. 
Jesus was anything but weak, anything but passive. He was strong. He was decisive. He was a leader. He ordered people, do this, don't do that. And yet, he says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am humble in heart, and you'll find rest to your souls. Our God is humble, but humility is not weakness. Will you, will you just say that with me one time? Bear, bear with me. Will you just say it? Humility, humility. is not weakness. It is strength. And that's the truth. We're going to get ready to uh, close and we're going to have the, uh, the Lord's Supper communion and we're going to show, see just another example of humility that Jesus shows the last night he was with his disciples. We'll glance at John 13. But uh, to get you to, to think about this a little bit, could it be that you kind of know that God in a very personal way, has come to you today and said, do you want this key, this, this key of humility? It's been the one you haven't used yet. And you've been depriving yourself of a lot of strength and a lot of peace and a lot of love and a lot of joy. And, and you've been causing more stress than you need to have. You, you, you're still insecure, and that could be alleviated too. That today's the day I want you to take my gift, the key of humility. For some of you, taking the key of humility means I'm going to, for the first time, put my trust in Christ, my creator. I'm going to become a follower of Christ starting today. We're going to let Janet kind of explain to you the uh, logistics of communion. Then we'll start in a song, and then I'll come back when communion is over. Uh, the last night that Jesus was with his disciples, and I've mentioned this to you before. If you're ever curious, you read in John chapter you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. It all took place that last evening. And... Uh, we know in other, other portions of the gospel that that's when Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. But there's a part in John's gospel that many of you probably know about, but maybe some of you don't. And let me just start reading in John chapter 13, verse 3. The, this verse is really interesting. It says, Because he knew that the Father had handed all things over to him and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he got up from the meal removed his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. He poured water in the wash basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel he had wrapped around himself. So here's Jesus knowing he's going back to heaven. He knows that he's fulfilled his Father's will. He knows all power is his on heaven and earth. And because he knows who he is and knows the power that he has, the authority he has, he is the one that gets down and starts washing the disciples' feet. Uh, none of them volunteered to do this. They were still jockeying for power. If you read other Gospels, they were actually arguing this evening earlier about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus washes their feet. It's right after this that he institutes the Lord's Supper. And you know, maybe you've heard it, uh, us read it in here many times, Jesus takes the bit of bread and he says, this represents my body which is going to be broken for you. And so when you take it, I want you to remember me. Remember the love that I have for you, that, that my body being crucified expressed the love. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Then he takes the, the cup and he says, the cup represents my blood that's going to be poured out for you. And whenever you drink this together, remember, remember me. And he's saying, remember how much I love you. 
And he's saying more. He's saying, as I was in the world, so should you be. As he allowed himself to be broken humbly on the cross for us, so should we embrace his humility because it was pure strength. So remember now, when we take these elements, nothing magical, nothing mystical is going to occur unless you and I remember the meaning of them that they represent for us in a physical form the sacrificial love of Christ our Creator. Uh, We lose the meaning of communion. But assuming that we've all embrace that let's remember our Lord's broken body by partaking of the little bit of bread it says after that he took the cup and he said that it represented his blood and once again he said do this in remembrance of me it says in scripture in 1 Corinthians until the Lord comes again let's remember the sacrificial blood of our Lord Let's pray. Father, this this key that is so powerful, so beautiful, uh, and yet for us, of all creatures, seems to be so hard. We always feel like we need to defend ourselves, prove ourselves. You see us. You see us for what we are. We're finite. We're fragile. We're fallible. We're dependent. We're needy. May your spirit so move our hearts that we will let go today and embrace the power of your humility. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.